0: Jesus, we exalt you in our lives. We exalt you in our thoughts and our minds. We exalt you in our hearts, Lord, and with our bodies. Lord, We, we exalt you and we lift you up, Jesus. You alone are worthy. You alone, Jesus, are the one we look to and the one we hope for. And the one we hope in. Jesus. We exalt you. Just in your own words, there where you're standing or seating or kneeling, however you are, just take a moment and just exalt Jesus over your life. Exalt him over your challenges and your hopes and your dreams and the obstacles. Exalt him over your frustrations. Exalt him over the hurdles. Exalt him over the victories. Lord, we just lift you up, Lord. We proclaim your glory and your majesty, Lord, your holiness and your worth. You alone are worthy, Jesus. You alone are holy. You alone are righteous. You alone are glorious, Lord. You alone, Jesus. You alone are worthy of our surrender, Lord. You alone are worthy of our victory. As we were praying beforehand, I just had the sense that this evening God is wanting to come and really set some of us free tonight. Got this picture of people of Israel coming out of Egypt and as they passed through the Red Sea there was this moment where they know that they would set free and the things that mattered in the past the things that held them back in the past was completely cut off and there was something new that God had called them to tonight God is wanting to draw some of us into that same freedom to that same liberty to the same cutting off of everything that is old Perhaps if that's you this evening, just there where you're standing or seated, just in your heart, just choose to say, Jesus, here I go, Lord. God, I'm laying down the things of old, Lord, of Egypt. What I valued in Egypt, Lord, I don't value anymore. What I held on to in Egypt, I don't hold on to anymore. What I look to in Egypt, Lord, I I don't look to anymore because I'm heading towards a promised land in you, Jesus. So we come, Lord, boldly. We just come wherever you lead us, Lord, we're coming, Lord. We've been speaking the last couple of weeks, actually, this year as a whole, around sort of two major themes. The first one is that the Lord is really calling us to step in, to step into his love. And for a large part of this year so far, we've been, the Lord's been speaking to us about the fact that he loves us and But one verse, is just a verse of affirmation. God has chosen you. And if you haven't heard that in your spirit yet, hopefully this evening you hear that God has chosen you. Yes, He's chosen the person behind you and next to you. He's chosen your brother. He's chosen your sister. He's chosen your friend. But He's chosen you. For me, that's such a a great testimony of His love towards us, that He has chosen you and He has chosen me, not because of what we bring to the table, not because of who we are, but He's chosen us because of His love for us. And So a large part of this year, we've just spent time just about that, just rediscovering something of the love that God has for us. The second thing that God mentioned to us at the start of this year is, That He wants to speak to us not only about stepping into His love, but about stepping into His purpose. And the last few weeks, He's begun to speak to us about that. And many of the messages that we've shared have sort of flown out of that as well. I want to encourage you, if I get that we can't always be here every Sunday for various reasons. It would be great if we could, but even the Sundays we can't. I want to encourage you to make a habit, make a discipline of just tapping into the podcast, whichever of your favorite podcast platform that you have You can just go on there, search for Pretoria, and our messages will be uploaded there and just stay up to date. You see the different ways that we can engage with the Word of God. We can engage with the Word of God that is encouraging for us, and it is. The Word of God lifts us up, it stirs our spirits. We can engage with it also as being directional and transformational. So we can read it just for informational purposes. Oh, that's interesting. That's good to know. Oh, that helps me with my life. Or we can come to the Word and understand that when God moves through His words, it transforms me and it directs me. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a a church, a very, very traditional church with my family. I was visiting my dad at the time and, and went to church with him. And... Went in because of relationship with my dad, but not really expecting anything spiritually. And I remember sitting there, I think might even have been standing at the start, and the organ started playing, people started singing, and no one was really listening, and no one could listen to the words. And I was like, what are we even doing here? Definitely wasn't the moment. Like we just had an end that I just realized God said, I can be here too. I can be here too. And I realized in that moment that it, I mean, I love good preaching. I try and preach well, but I love listening to really good preachers. And I think sometimes it's easy to go the way of thinking that good preaching changes us. And missing that it's not so much the good preaching that changes us. It's the Word of God that changes us. And whether the Word is preached well or whether the Word is preached badly, the Word can still change us. I remember sitting there that day and listening. I can't remember exactly what the message was, but I I remember as I walked out, there was this weird contradiction inside of me because a part of me said, I think I disagreed with pretty much every single word the guy said. But I feel spiritually built up because he still read the word. Even though I didn't agree with his interpretation, even though I didn't agree with what what he was saying about that word, I think he completely misunderstood the text the text, the word, still did not return void. And so as we come with open hearts, and I want to encourage you to tap into the podcast and say, God, you're speaking to us. You're transforming us. You're you're leading us somewhere. So even when I can't be there on a Sunday, God, I don't want to miss out on the word. What you are saying, and not so much what Philip is saying, or Yaku, whoever happens to be sharing the word. God, what is the word that you are sharing? Not what is Philip saying, but God, what are you saying? And we get into the discipline of allowing the Word to direct our paths. Last couple of weeks, we've started speaking about purpose and stepping into purpose and understanding that we can only step into purpose as much as we embrace that God has a purpose. We love thinking that you and I have a purpose, and I guess to an extent we do. But before you and I have a purpose, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God calls us into His purpose. And God calls us into His plan. And if we start praying genuinely, like hopefully many of us have, God, use me. Many of us hopefully genuinely, we're putting up our hand and we're saying, God, I want to go where you would send me. God, I want to be a light to the nation. I want to be an agent of redemption to my community, to my commune, to my class, to the place of work that I'm in to my family. I want to be an agent of redemption there. Here I am, Jesus, send me. Your Spirit is upon me. Your Spirit is leading me. Your Spirit is going to empower me to be a witness. Then there's some things that God is going to begin to do in our lives. Because if we're putting up our hands for God to use us, then God is first going to make us. When God came and he he called the disciples, the the first Peter and John and those guys, you guys remember what is the word that he said to them? He didn't say, hey, Peter, you are ready. Come follow me and we're going to do some great stuff. John, your training is completed. Come follow me and we're going to get this done. James, man of man, you, you've got everything that we need for this job. Come. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you. And so as we begin, as we walk with Christ, he's forever making us. Today was the comrades. Anyone know someone who ran the comrades? Please pray for them for wisdom, (laughs) for knowledge, for insight. A couple of years ago, I very, very nearly ran the comrades. It was covid And there was an opportunity to run the comrades in the COVID year, and I missed it. And I don't know if I ever have such a good opportunity in my life again. Because there was a five-kilometer comrades. (laughs) Uh, Gunny, did you run uh, the five-kilometer comrades marathon that year? I think it was a home race as well. You just needed a watch or a smartphone or something. And then you could just log that you had run. And you could get the certificate and everything that you had completed. The comrades that year, because they couldn't have the normal comrades. I don't know if I'll have that opportunity again in my life. Sadly, I will, not, I will not be a camaraderie person. But they'll tell you that you don't start at the finish line. This morning, they woke up in Peter Maritzburg. I think it was a downrun this year. So they start in Peter Maritzburg, and you have to end in Durban. And it's quite a track to get from Peter Maritzburg to Durban. None of us start as the finished product when we're following Jesus. We don't start at the finish line. We start way away from the finish line. And Jesus isn't intimidated by that. He doesn't mind. He says, come, I'm going to make you. You know, the exciting part is just like we, just as we feel that God has now finished making me, he reminds us of Jeremiah. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go and and watch the potter at work, the potter at work. This potter is sitting there working and he's, creating this vessel, and a part of it is misformed, and the potter decides to make a different vessel. And God says to Jeremiah, sometimes I'm like the potter. I've shaped you one way, and then I decide to shape you a different way, and I get to do that. So God is forever making us, and He's forever shaping us. He's forever leading and directing us. And so this Evening, I want to share with us a little bit of maybe something that God is doing and has been doing in our lives. And if He hasn't yet, then God will will do it. It is coming if it's not there already. Now we're going to pray for some of us around it. We're going to trust God really to minister into this. We prayed for some people this morning and probably half the church just came forward and said, this is exactly what God is doing in my life right now. And so I want us to read from Matthew chapter 13. And it's a section of of scripture where it's sort of the Jesus' ministry is at the high end of the curve. It's really going well here. Everywhere he's going, people are following him. They're coming to listen to him. People are being healed all over the place. Demons are being cast out. There's just so much favor on Jesus' life. There's a bunch of people that aren't enjoying him so much. But pretty much everywhere Jesus goes, he's... a celebrity. People come running from all over to come and listen to him. And we pick up the story here that later that same day, Jesus left the house and he sat beside the lake. So Jesus goes and he sits by the lake. A large crowd soon gathers around him. And we know from other contextual scriptures, when we're speaking about a large crowd here, we're speaking of thousands of people. So Jesus goes, he just goes and sits next to the lake and Someone hears Jesus is there, the story spreads, thousands of people are there. And so he gets into a boat. He sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. And so he tells them this story. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. Marinique helped us with that already a little bit this evening. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was thirty, sixty, and even a hundredfold, or a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. It. So there are a couple of things from this passage that I just want to highlight because the next section in the scripture, we're not going to read that. They ask Jesus, Jesus, why do you speak to us with these stories? Why don't you just say what you want to say? And I think if I was at that stage a follower of Jesus, I would have been at the front of that conversation. Jesus, just tell me what you want to tell me. Just say what you want to say. Why do you make it so complicated? And Then Jesus explains why he gives parables, and then he tells them what he wants. Then he actually explains this parable to them. But a few things just before we look at the explanation of the parable. First one is, God is concerned with the fruitfulness. Fruitfulness matters to Jesus. It's not a non-issue. It's not something that is irrelevant to him. You may be familiar with another passage Sort of if you went to a Christian, any school with sort of a, a thread of underlining Christianity, underlying Christianity, and from time to time someone read something from Scripture, these are probably the two passages that you would have heard somewhere. The first one is this one I've just read now, the different seeds. And the other one is where Jesus tells a parable. And he says this, this master, a rich guy, he goes to a far land and he's going away for a bit. So he takes some of his money and he gives the one guy five coins. He gives the other guy two coins. He gives the other guy one coin. And he comes back, and the five guy, the, coin, the five coin guy, he's multiplied his five coins. The two coin guy, he's multiplied his two coins. The one coin guy, he took his coin and he dug it under, dug a hole and hid it in the ground because he didn't want to lose it. God said, No, that's not how it works in my kingdom. That's not how it works. Fruitfulness matters. We can't hide. We can't just stick our head in the soil and say, God, is it's okay being unfruitful. I must put an asterisk there quickly and explain something else here. We've got, some of you have been to our house, we've got a, a beautiful um, rose garden, one in the front and, and one in the back. And when we moved in the first year, it flowered really nicely. Um, and then we made quite a bit of effort with it the next year, and it flowered. And this is now the, th- the, the third two and a half years since we've been there. Now it's not flowering so much. It's not looking as, as good as, as it was the first time, and you know those roses, if you just bear with me for a moment, if there's nothing that they can do to make themselves flower more. That rose bush in the garden has no capacity and no power within itself to be more fruitful. It's all about the gardener. We have to prune this year. We haven't kind of rose care and rose food and all the stuff that you have to do to make the roses flourish nicely. It's only the gardener who can make the plant flourish. And I just want to put that out there right from the outset. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to make yourself more fruitful. What you can do is you can resist the gardener. We're going to look at the gardener a little bit this evening. The gardener who wants to come and he wants to make you fruitful. We have to work with what he is doing in our lives and hopefully understand a little bit about what he is doing in our lives to make us fruitful. But you can't make yourself fruitful. You can't go home and decide, tomorrow I am going to be more fruitful. Fruit doesn't work that way. You can't say, I'm going to surrender. I remember I was saying this morning, Just before we moved in here, we were still praying about the building. We came here one evening. I remember standing somewhere in this spot over there. And I I just sensed the Lord said to me that this building is going to be a place of surrender. A place where people find surrender. Surrender to God. Surrender to His purposes. Surrender to all of those things. And then as I was praying through that, and the last couple of weeks, just again, just bringing that before the Lord, I was reminded that you can only surrender if there's first been a wrestle. You can only surrender when there's a struggle. And so this place being a place of surrender also means that it'll be a people of struggle. And when we learn to surrender and we bring that struggle to the Lord, I probably want to speak about this in one of the weeks to come together with all of the 49 other sermons that I haven't got around to speaking about yet. Maybe I'll get to seven of them tonight. What time do we have to be home? What time's the first exam tomorrow morning? Okay. And um, no, I'm just kidding. I won't, I won't be that long, but just want to mention this there because it's important for us to know this. It is okay if your will, if your, well, let me just try and pronounce myself properly here, if your will is different to the will of the Father. That's okay. You know why I can say that? Because Jesus' will was different to the will of the Father. But also understand that if my will is different to the will of the Father, then a Gethsemane is coming. A wrestling is coming. There is a time when I'm going to have to wrestle through this, and I'm going to have to work towards surrender where I can say, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. But it's okay. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. Don't run away when you find yourself where Jesus is. God, Father, I've got this will. And I know that's your will, but this is my will. And right now, my will doesn't align with your will. That's okay. It was okay for Jesus to have a will different to the Father. It also meant that there was a time coming, a Gethsemane coming, a wrestling coming, and eventually a yielding, a surrender coming. We want to grow to that. We want to be there. But if we're not there yet, then be honest, I'm not there yet. Right now, my will is different to the will of the Father. That's where I am, and I'm honest with it. And then as we press into that, we allow Him to bring us to the place of surrender and yieldedness. So the first thing I just want us to see here is that fruitfulness matters to God. Fruitfulness is important. Fruitfulness counts. Often when we read this passage, we think of it largely in the light of evangelism, in the light of kind of, we're going to go and minister to people, and some people are going to receive the word, and other people aren't. And There's probably value and truth in that. But I also think it applies to our day-to-day. It applies to our here and now. And so I think in this, there's a bit of a, a pathway To fruitfulness. Matthew 13, verse 18, Jesus carries on and he explains this. And obviously, we're all different at different stages of our lives, and this isn't necessarily a step one, step two, step three, step four. But I do think that there's one step which, for most of us, is probably reasonably applicable, and we're going to spend a bit of time ministering into that and praying for some people around that this morning. Oh, evening. Even, this morning I kept saying this evening, and now I'm saying this morning. It's just upside down. You see what happens is it was my wife's fault. She left the temptation on the couch. So right now I didn't, I'm, I'm on crutches. Crutches is just a real disaster because little things, like I can't go to, if I'm watching like tennis yesterday, I can't get up and go to the kitchen, get something to drink, and come and sit down again. It's just. Maybe we can have some fun later and see how far we can get with the crutches and a cup of water in your hand as well. It just doesn't work, so lacquer. So my poor wife has gone above and beyond these last couple of weeks, really caring for me and carrying stuff and making things ready for me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so she came and she put a bottle of Coke at lunchtime on the couch, or next to the couch, on the coffee table next to the couch. And... Last night at like 8 or half past 8, I was a little bit thirsty and the coke was still there. and So I had a glass of coke, not forgetting, not forgetting, not remembering that this probably isn't a very good idea. And I've learned this before. And So like at 2 o'clock last night, I eventually sort of fell asleep and had to wake up just after 5 again to prepare for this morning. So that just wasn't so wild. So maybe my body clock is just upside down. So it's morning now. Okay. Everyone, it's morning. Okay. Goeie Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> This evening, we're going to pray for some people around one of these areas specifically. So listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts, for us to grow in fruitfulness as we're discipling others, but also as we're growing in our own fruitfulness, it is so important that we learn to understand the gospel. One of the reasons why we spend so much energy into things like the Encounter Series and Bible School, bible school, which is finished for this semester because it's exam time now, we'll carry on, I think early in August, we start again. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done Bible School yet, strongly consider, I don't know how you say that, What's the nice way to see. Just flip and do it. Okay, whatever, whatever the nice way of saying that is, Bible school. Grow in an understanding. Allow the Word to be rooted in your heart. If we don't do that, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to give us understanding of the Word, the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately they receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. So the second thing that we see here happens for healthy growth. The first one is there needs to be understanding. The second one is that there needs to be some form of root structure. There are a couple of ways in which roots are developed in our lives. One of them is in our relationships. That's one of the reasons why small groups are so important to us. It establishes roots. It establishes that place where if I drift a little bit from the truth, if I start messing up in my life, if I start going in a bad direction, way before I can even get close to the bad direction, there's going to be somebody who's going to, Say, hey, what's going on? I heard you say that you were speaking this way to your wife, or I noticed this is happening in your studies, or you're struggling here, or you're going well there, whatever. But there's somebody who can help ground us. That's rootedness. Rootedness in relationship. We should be rooted relationally. We should also be rooted spiritually. Another reason why the the encounter series is so important for us, us, to develop strong spirits. Spirits... Scripture says that are not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Every time we hear a nice story. Well, nowadays, it's every time I get a nice WhatsApp message. Mortar man, sir. 17 and a half minute long. Then you know, don't even go there. Delete. <laughs> if it was important, they will send it again. It's amazing how those things... And what, what, what fascinates me, I'll touch on another similar situation in a moment, but what fascinates me is how gullible we are and how quickly we drink up all of this nonsense that people want to hold before us because we haven't been rooted in Scripture. Scripture says we are tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Anybody who's got a nice idea, a nice story, who's got a half-nice voice, who knows how to record a voice note, it's like, yes, they've got the gospel. We're running after them. Scripture says we shouldn't. Because what happens? As soon as we have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, we fall away. So maybe we kind of buy into this gospel that says Jesus is here to make my life better. And now He's not making my life better. Now people are not liking me for Jesus. Well, Jesus probably isn't going to hang around very long in our lives. Because we're not going to let Him. We buy into this theology that I'm going to carry on with my life. And I've got Jesus on speed dial right here. So I'm just going to keep going in this direction, do whatever I want. And if I find myself in a rough patch and a bad patch, I'm not really going to stop, hit speed dial, call Jesus in. He's going to come and do his sort of Jason Bourne thing and fix it all. And then my life's going to carry on again. And Obviously, that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't about Jesus coming to serve me. It's about me turning my life around and beginning to serve Jesus, laying my life down for His purpose. And then we begin to embrace where Scripture says, Paul, I think it's Paul who writes, I'm counted worthy to suffer for His name. The early disciples as well. It's an act. They, were, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. You see, we get persecuted. Our faith doesn't go. Our faith gets strengthened. When we have problems, we count it off joy when we fall into various trials. Because we've been rooted in Scripture, we've been rooted in the gospel. So we should be rooted relationally, spiritually, and theologically. We should be rooted in our understanding. I touched on the understanding just now. We should know Scripture. We should be able to discern Scripture. We should know when we get that more immense voice note within the first three lines. <laughs> you could probably pick up. I mean, I don't know if you guys got the voice notes just when COVID started. Some of you didn't. You were still in primary school. But I got voice notes. <laughs> Pastor Jonathan, still don't know who Pastor Jonathan is. Who got the Pastor Jonathan voice note? Anybody else? It was like a 19-minute. The worst, I got it from people in church. I had to find them and say, listen, what on God's green earth are you sending me? Because don't worry, Pastor Jonathan knows what's caused COVID. Yes, you guessed it, 5G. 5G is gonna control all of our lives. No one bothered to tell Pastor Jonathan that 5G wasn't even available in South Africa then yet. But anyway, COVID was, don't know how it worked. And don't worry, because Pastor Jonathan and his friends have developed an entire parallel economic system. We're not gonna be able to do anything with our lives by the time COVID is finished, but don't worry, just follow Pastor Jonathan, he's got the answer. I mean, really? I don't know who Pastor Jonathan is following, but he's not following Jesus. We should be able to pick that up so quickly. And know, who is this? This does not align with the truth of Scripture. I wonder if I've still got that voice note somewhere. Maybe ask the person who I write it out if they can send it on to me, because I know they sent it to a whole bunch of other people as well. Anyway. And then the one who should be grounded theologically. Should have a good understanding of the Word. Jesus didn't give us scripture just for us to ignore it. And then the one that probably for most of us, if not now, but as we continue to grow in our lives, is going to be the one that continually needs to happen. You see, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. And watch this. So no fruit is produced. Our fruitfulness is impacted. We're going to get back to that a couple of times. Anyone here ever tried to make a garden? Like, like a mini small garden? Like a lawn? Like a little patch of grass like this? or Plant a couple of trees? Little flowers? You know there's something really weird? You don't have to try to get the weeds to grow. You really did not have to try. If you just have fertile soil, the weeds are going to grow. I don't know where they come from. They're there cleaned out the soil, get certified weed-free soil. A week later, they're weeds. I don't know how that happens. Miraculous. But our hearts are the same. If our hearts are fertile soil, then seeds that are planted there are going to grow. We live in a world where hopefully we're planting seeds of the gospel in our hearts all the time, but the world all around us is planting seeds of a whole bunch of other stuff all the time. Guess what? Those seeds are going to prosper. That rose garden of mine, if I don't from time to time, or not me, I'm lazy now, I've got a guy who works for me to do it, but if I don't from time to time say, listen, you've got to go in and you've got to clear out the rose garden, leave the roses, but take everything else out, then within a couple of months, you're not even going to know ro- there are roses there. The stuff we don't want to grow, it grows. The seeds get planted there, the birds carry them, the whatever. The news puts it there, the Friends put it there. The conversation around the bride puts it there. All of these seeds get planted in our hearts, and our hearts are fertile soil, so they're going to grow. And then the gardener needs to come. I love modern gardening. It's, some of it is so easy. You see, I'm a lawn guy. I like a nice lawn. But it's amazing how my lawn will be growing nicely, and then one day I wake up, and then there's other stuff growing on my lawn. I'm like, where did you come from? Who said... You can grow here. This is a lawn. This is for grass. This is not for this other stuff that's wanting to grow here. But Then you get this really cool poison. It's amazing. You spray it on the lawn, and everything dies except the lawn. The weeds die. The lawn grows. I love it. You spray it regularly. Sometimes God needs to come and do that in our lives. He needs to come and de-weed our hearts. What are some of these things that he says are weeds that come and drown out our fruitfulness, that come and take away our ability to carry and bear fruit for his name? Two things that he mentions here, the worries of this life, the lure of wealth. So this foot of mine, obviously, for those of you who've had injuries like this sort of in the past, the first bit is really frustrating because I had to lie on my back, toes above nose for two and a half weeks. So, a while ago, I've always been someone, you guys are way too young to know this, but let me just put this out there. There was a time before the internet. My kids don't believe that I'm older than Google. but Some of you don't believe that I'm older than Google. So, there was a time before the internet. There was a time where if you wanted to get news, you had to turn on the television at 8 o'clock tonight. You couldn't, like, stream it at the right time, just go to the, 8 o'clock at night or you miss it. Then you've got to ask mom and dad what was said. Tomorrow morning, maybe you get a newspaper. If you get a newspaper delivered, and that's kind of the sum total of news and current affairs that you get. And then we got connected, and this thing just bit me. And I've always been interested in what's going on in the world, so I'll listen and I'll read, and kind of I remember still from like the first phones, just as you could sort of get GPRS, the first sort of data that you could have on phones, and I'd be reading news and. A couple of years ago, I quickly realized that that's really bad news for me. That's not a good habit for me. Maybe you've missed this quick public service announcement. Journalists really don't care about giving you facts as much as they care about giving you their opinions. So just remember that when you read something. So I'm still, so kind of, I've completely downscaled. I've sort of found ways in which I get to the facts. I like the facts. I want to be aware about what's going on in the world. Because what I realized was as I read opinions, the opinions would get to my heart. Either I'd be fighting with this journalist in my head and with his opinions, these people are all wrong, or I'd be reading these opinions, and these opinions would sway me and direct me in a specific direction. And I realized that wasn't good for me. So I made just a conscious life decision to read a heck of a lot in this news. Still to be aware, but not to spend nearly as much time reading the content and reading the opinions and kind of all the analyses and everything because there's just so much agenda hidden in all of those things. But what I found is they begin to cause worry in my heart. And so, lying on my back, I'm really bored. Maybe you should try this at one stage. Maybe you do that anyway. It's not a good idea if you're a student. But lying on my back for two and a half weeks, really can't do anything. And the phone is there, the news is there, and I started reading news and was just—I don't know if it just—it's always there, or it was just a bad time. So this either was a bad time, because there was a bunch of stuff that was just happened to be happening at that time, or it's happening all the time, and just because I'm a little bit disconnected with the opinions, I'm not so into it. But this was the time just after the United States had said that we're selling weapons to Russia. We're in a war with Ukraine right now. You're not meant to be selling weapons to Russia. And then we're like, no, what do you mean? And <laughs> the minister still used a really crude way to say, we really didn't give them any weapons and then a week later oh by the way our top general happens to be in russia speaking to the russian army people it was like what's up with that we just said we're not giving them weapons why are our top generals in russia talking strategy with russian people what 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 and reading all of this analysis and i'm getting worried about this i'm getting upset by this it's getting into my heart i'm like this shouldn't be this is wrong Why are we aligning ourselves with Russia and China? They're not exactly kind of people with the best human rights records at the moment. Morally, I can't agree with what they're doing and where they're going and what and what and what. And kind of it's getting into my heart and I'm getting worked up about this. And then this verse, King David, Psalm 130, I think it is. Somewhere one early 130s, if it's not 130. Beautiful word of liberty. He says, I do not concern myself with things too profound for me. How I began to realize is I am thinking of this Russia thing. You see, this Russia thing wasn't just the Russia thing, because the Russia thing became the Philip thing. Because the Russia thing is not good for the Rand. Do you know the currency, the stuff we buy food with? Come, you, you're not all students. You, you know some things already, okay? And it's not good for the Rand, it's not good for Philip. So now our stance on Russia is offending my ba- uh, affecting my bank balance and it's affecting the country's prospects and it's affecting my hope for my daughters and it's, a, it's affecting all of these things. And I'm like, God, this is wrong. These things shouldn't be. And I'm like I'm getting to wrestle in the spirit. And, like, and then I realize, King David, why am I concerning myself with things too profound for me? I'll get back there in a moment. But also... Jesus, didn't he say to us in Matthew 6, don't worry about the things of this world. What you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what your bank balance is, is the implication. And then he puts this little tagline, which we miss. He says, that's what unbelievers do. And I was like, Jesus, I'm lying on this couch being an unbeliever. Because I'm worrying about the stuff that unbelievers worry about. So I began to say, okay, God, maybe we do align with Russia. My decision, we don't. That but is not my decision. Just Can I just put that out there? Maybe you're to politics. Maybe God calls you into activism. Run with that 100%. We're behind you. We're praying for you. The gospel needs to be there. Definitely. God might raise a platform. I don't know. I don't ever want to kind of exclude anything. It might be that God raises somewhere that I get to speak to presidents. I don't know. I doubt it, but hey. Not going to fight if God wants to, but most likely, most likely, I'm not going to have too much an effect on South Africa's international policy relations policies. Fair. My life, I'm probably not going to determine whether we side with Russia or with the West. It's probably not in my hands. I'm not saying we mustn't pray into it. We must pray into it, and we must seek God and God's purposes and God's plans into all of that. But I'm lying there on the couch, getting worked up about something that I've got no control over. And then this thought picked: What if? What if? What if five years down the line we have sided with Russia and with China, and the rand is at below the floor? Don't worry. What did the government say? If it falls, we'll just pick it up again. But anyway, the rand is way down there. Maybe the little bit of a pension I have is up to nothing. My house is worth nothing. Maybe that that would suck. But maybe. Maybe, just maybe, at that stage, other people can't go to Russia and they can't go to China. And maybe I can because I'm a South African. and We're allied with them. Maybe other people can't go and lead missions teams there and go and pray there. Maybe I'm thinking in the eyes of the world and not the eyes of God. Maybe I should change my how I'm looking at the situation and not saying, God, what does this mean for my bank balance? But God, what is the opportunity for the kingdom? Because, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think Jesus said something like, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. So there's a righteous element, which is obviously very much necessary in the whole Ukraine-Russia story. But am I concerned about the me lying on the couch? Or have I allowed the worries of this world to consume me? Have I allowed the cares of the stuff that the unbelievers are worried about to direct me? The Scripture says that takes my fruit away. No fruit is produced. The last while, I don't know kind of if people are just more desperate or more gullible than ever. But it's like the last two or three weeks I've just been around, been contacted, had word, whatever. Just been made aware of just a whole bunch of new Ponzi schemes. Does everyone know what a Ponzi scheme is? Ponzi scheme is simple. I say to David, David, you give me a hundred rand. I'm going to give you five hundred rand. You're going to make so much money, it's going to come out of your ears. David's great. Gives me his hundred rand. I go to everybody and, and I say, come give me. And as you guys give me your money, I give a little bit to David, a little bit to Maranik and everyone. And kind of, as you're giving me your money, I'm handing out and which is all good and well, apart from the fact it's legal but just practically it works as long as more people are giving me money because David's happy. He's getting all this money. Money, money, easy money. <laughs> so that's a, that's kind of the heart behind a Ponzi scheme. And so kind of these Ponzi schemes have just popped up all over the place. And so, Actually, I had this one on here. Yesterday, last night, 24 minutes past 8 o'clock, my father-in-law sends me this message. I'm going to translate it for you because he sent it in Afrikaans. If I can find it. It's a screenshot from a message of a friend of his on Facebook. And he's like, this sounds dodgy, but he just wants to check it with me. Again and again and again, I invest, this guy says. And I get massive profit out of my investments. It's amazing. All I do is I put in 10,000 Rand and I get out 210,000 Rand in just 10 hours. It's amazing, isn't it? How cool would that be? Put in 10,000 Rand tomorrow morning when I wake up, 210. So now that we put in 210. What's that? 20 times 10. It's 2 million I get back the next morning. Boom. This is I am gonna do this. Except scripture says, you know what? That lust, that desire, what does it call it here? The lure of wealth, it steals our fruitfulness. Just a, a quick way, you guys are still young, hopefully Maybe save you a little bit of pain. If anybody ever comes to you with something like this, to say they can make just a whole bunch of money. Have you got time for this? Yes, let me take three minutes for this. Just maybe to help you a little bit. Here's a really quick test to know whether this is potentially a good idea or not. Ask yourself one question. You only need to ask one question. If you've got a good answer to this question, the rest will fall into place. Here's the question. Why do they need my money? You see, if Anarene happens to be a financial consultant, she isn't, but... Don't give her your money yet, okay? But if she happens to be one and she comes and she sits and she works out an investment plan to me, do you know why she needs my money? Because she's going to take a little bit of commission of the money that I put into that. If Tiro starts a business and he starts selling shares, why does he want my money? Because he doesn't have enough money to grow the business, so he wants me to put in money into the business so that the business can grow and the idea is the business grows and I get some of the profit of the business. That makes sense. You still with me? If someone, like, there's another one, Forex breakthrough, what, what, what? 7% per week, they promise. 7% per week. Doesn't sound like a lot. If that guy can scrape together a million rand, which sounds like a lot to you as a student, but I promise you, the moment you become an adult, it's not. Okay. You can find a million rand if you have a really good business idea. You can can hardly buy a flat nowadays for a million rand. Just put your car off for a bit, Just if you can scrape together one million rand, in one year, that million rand at 7% per week becomes 33 million rand. That's nice. But wait for this. In two years, that one million rand, which was 33 million after one year, is more than a billion. One billion rand. In two years. So if someone comes to you and they says they can make 7% per week, why do they need my money? What on earth do they need my money for? Why must I put my little peanuts into their thing when they can just they do their closed little thing? Because guess what? After three years, if there was a billion after 1.1 billion after, one, after two years, then after three years, what is 1.1 times 33? We're at 35 billion rand after three years. They really don't need my money. Does that make sense? Quick question. You ask yourself, why do they need my money? If this thing really works and they can make that much money, why aren't they making that much money with their money? Make sense? Scripture says that lure of wealth, it swallows it up. Most of us are are still young enough and kind of not there, but later on, kind of this morning, something that I know God ministered to many of the working people around many of the families. It's something that God has to repeatedly come and cut out of my heart. The seed gets planted over and over, and just this, oh, this wealth. And I think one of the reasons why people kind of, you see this, like 10,000 rand, and tomorrow morning it's 210. That would be nice. There's that lure, there's this drawing to us. But Scripture says we get drawn to that idea of wealth and our fruitfulness goes out the window. And then the third one, the seed that that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. And understand understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as had been planted. That's where we want to be. And so we need to have this continual, this constant gardener tending our hearts. Coming and de-weeding and taking up. One more thing before we close, and then we're going to pray. I want to zoom into that middle bit there. It says, crowded out by the worries of this life. Many of us are still too young, and that's why I'm saying, kind of, you think you've got worries now, and you do. Your worries are real for where you are now. Unfortunately, they're only going to escalate as you grow. Can I? I'm going to say it in the hard way, then I'm going to say it in the easy way. Worry is sin. The easy way, worrying is outside of God's purpose and God's plan for your life. God's plan for you does not include worry and anxiety. And that makes it sinful. It doesn't make it sin in the sense that kind of I'm in an adulterous relationship. No, it's just I'm missing God's purpose. I'm outside of God's will for my life if I'm worrying. So what does scripture say? First sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Here we go. Don't worry about anything. That sounds like a pretty good instruction. It's clear. Other translations say, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. And it carries on in the New King James where it says, And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't worry. Learn the discipline in life of not worrying. Be aware but don't worry. So what is the difference between being aware and not worrying? And as I said this this morning, I realized I probably should spend a bit more time and, and get nice wording for this. What is worry? Worry, being aware is when I know I'm, it's in my head. The information is there. If my finances are tight, if my budget isn't making the end of the month, I must be aware of that because I'm a steward well. I must be aware of the realities. I must be aware of the dangers in our world. I must be aware of how do I protect my daughter's best. I, I must be aware of all of those things. When does it become worry? It becomes worry when it climbs into my heart. It becomes worry when it begins to steal my joy. We must be aware, but we mustn't worry. Worry, we saw just now, worries of this life cause our fruitfulness to be impacted. The fruitfulness of the gospel is impacted when we allow worry to grow in our hearts. One of the problems is some of us have become so acquainted with worry, we don't know who we are going to be if we're not worrying. We're warriors. Not with an A, with an O. We've become warriors. Warriors are part of who we are. We worry about everything. And Scripture says, don't worry about anything. So here's something that will do wonders for your prayer life. Get into the discipline. Every time you realize you're beginning to worry and stop and pray. Why? Because Scripture says that. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Be anxious for nothing, it says in the more literal translations there. God would want us fruitful. He wants to be the gardener who's tending a garden and He's pulling out worry all of the time so that the fruit can flourish. We have to allow him to do that. We, we can't hold on to worry and wanting to worry. We have to learn to step away and to say, I want to trust you, God. Even when I don't feel like it, when it doesn't make sense, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because worry and anxiety is not in God's plan for my life. I'm going to choose to worry less. Not because the reality or the circumstance has changed, but because I choose to trust in Jesus. So I'm going to pray instead. I can worry or I can pray. And Maybe you're at that that intersection where right now it's both, that's fine. Pray until you don't worry anymore. God doesn't want you to live a life of worry about the things of this world. He definitely doesn't want you to live a life kind of drawn in by the lure of wealth. And so this evening, I want to pray with some of us. You guys can stand so long I've just realized now I've got a little bit over time. Apologies for that. I want to pray with us this evening because as I was speaking, I God would have spoken into some of your hearts. You would have began to... Sorry, I'm just going to remain seated if you will excuse me for obvious reasons. Something in your heart was like, I need a gardener. I need a cleansing. There's some weeds that have been growing here. Perhaps weeds of worry. Perhaps weeds of the lure of wealth. See, I can either serve God or Muhammad. Scripture says. I can't do both. One or the other. And so, if that's you tonight, I want to pray with you, Ben. You guys are included in this. Before we minister to one another, let's allow the Holy Spirit just to minister to us. I'm going to close our eyes. I want to pray for us just for a moment around that. Jesus, thank you that you love us way too much to leave any weeds in our gardens, Lord. That you care for us, Lord. That you are drawn to us. That, Lord, you want us to be fruitful. And flourishing in your name and for your glory, even as we're saying yes, Lord, to your call, Lord. We're saying yes to your purpose. We're saying yes to your mission to completely turn our lives around. We say, come and make us as we follow you. Lord, as the seeds of the gospel, as the seeds of the word are planted in our hearts, we pray that they may truly flourish, Lord. That they may grow, that our hearts may really be good, good, swell. Do we acknowledge, Lord, that there are other things growing alongside? And right now, we want to ask Jesus that you would come and de-weed our hearts, Lord. Would you come and take away everything that wants to steal our fruitfulness, Lord? Tonight, if that's you, I want to ask you to be really bold and just put up your hand if that's you. Just Say, God, this hand, its heart needs some cleansing. It's heart needs some de-weeding. Lord, this hand needs some purification in the heart that's connected to it. As I was speaking, what was stirring in your hearts? Just acknowledge that the first step to having the gardener come in is just to acknowledge that I need a gardener to come and cleanse. Because we want to be fruitful for him i going to ask those of you who've raised your hands to do re- something really bold. And that's just to step out right in the front. Because we want to pray with you. We want to lay hands on you. We want to trust God to shift something over you and in your spirit. So you can just step forward. And if you're at the back and you raised your hand, then you need to step this way as well. A whole bunch of you put up your hands. And we want to pray with you tonight. God's been speaking to us the last while about just bringing back the discipline of laying on of hands. We want to do that tonight for some of us. See, coming forward like this is not a walk of shame, it's a walk of faith. It's a walk coming to a gardener to say, I'm going to be changed by a gardener who knows my heart. Who sees every one of these weeds and he loves me the same, but he wants to take these weeds out. For his name and for his glory. We're going to spend some time this evening laying hands on him and praying with these souls. The band is going to continue to minister. If you want to just spend time in the Lord's presence, you're welcome to do that. There's coffee and tea outside as always. Once we're done praying with you guys and you want to hang around, have some coffee and tea, definitely do that.